Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Uh, Today, myself and Monica Benoit are going to be talking to Barry Remcio, longtime ag nutritionist, or beef cattle nutritionist, rather, uh, with Alberta Ag, and now independent consultant with uh, Remcio Ag Consulting. Uh, So we're going to talk to him about ration balancing, nutritional requirements, all of that sort of stuff. But before we get into that, uh, Barry, would you mind to give a quick introduction of yourself and also uh, how you got into beef cattle nutrition in the first place? I was raised on a mixed farm in central Alberta, uh, an hour east of Edmonton. And uh, in 1985, after graduating from the University of Alberta, I went to work for Alberta Agriculture as a district agriculturalist over the years went to Edmonton to work as the lab nutritionist for four years and then the provincial beef nutritionist. 1994 came, I went to private industry for nine years and in 2003 came back to Alberta Agriculture as the beef and forage specialist at the Ag Info Center in Stettler. In March that all came to an end and I started up, my, uh, my wife and I started up our own company, your MCY Consulting Limited. Awesome. Now, PCBFA does run a feed testing program, um, but sometimes we'll have people uh, come and do feed tests and they haven't done a lot of testing before. Uh, So what would you uh, say are the most important things to look at on a feed test when you haven't really done a lot of that sort of stuff before? If the forage sample was taken properly and the analysis came back with wet chemistry results, they should have a good indication of the quality of the feed. Protein, fiber content, both acid detergent fiber, neutral detergent fiber, calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, potassium, sodium are what's needed to do a initial ration balancing program. If you want to get into more detail, you should also do the copper, manganese, and zinc. Okay. Uh, where might people be able to find information on cattle requirements, like what numbers they should be looking for in that uh, protein and energy and that sort of stuff? There is a fact sheet from Alberta Agriculture. It's called uh, Winter Feeding Programs for Cows and Calves, and it gives a fairly good explanation of what is required. There's also a, another fact sheet called uh, beef cattle ration rules of thumb. And between those two documents, it should give you a good outline of what's required. All right, awesome. Uh, Monica, do you have any questions for Barry? Yeah, for sure. So, Barry, we, we've experienced when we run our feed testing program. We know people, we know it takes time to get those feed tests done, but can you speak at all to any of the, um, like, why you why do that, but also tie it back to some of the economics and feed savings you've seen over the years by knowing actually what you have, not just guessing? 
An analogy I like to use in this situation is if you're making a batch of cookies and you don't have a recipe, how much baking soda, how much sugar, how much flour do you need to put into the mix to make a proper batch of cookies? Same thing applies when you're balancing rations. If you don't know what the nutrient content is of the different feeds, how do you blend off the hay, the straw, the grain? What type of mineral or vitamin mix do you need? So it's to balance the ration. And the other side of the coin is, if, if you traditionally have been feeding just straight hay, maybe the quality is good enough for a cow in mid-pregnancy or late pregnancy that you can go ahead and substitute in 10 or 15 pounds of straw. That'll reduce your feeding cost by 30, 40 cents a day. Do you need all the grain that you need? How do you make sure that you don't have a nutritional deficiency that will cause you to have problems at calving time, either uh, with calves getting sick or having troubles with retained placentas or reproduction problems later on? Yeah, definitely. So a combination of, of preventative, preventing a wreck and also I'm not leaving dollars on the table. The margins are tight, so it just, this doesn't make sense, I guess. Over the years, I've kept track of the difference in costs for feeding a program. Uh, when you just say, I'm feeding this, and come in and try to see what you're doing at that point in time, and then after balancing the rations, a lot of times there's someplace between $100 and $150 a cow difference in feeding costs per winter. That's significant. That's a lot. <laughs> the margins are tight. <laughs> That's for sure. Now, Barry, I know the last couple of years we've had issues, especially up here, uh, with feed tests coming back with good protein, but just low on energy. Um, can you talk a little bit about how to manage that? With the change in calculation formulas that the labs are using to estimate energy values, some of them are pretty good and some of them are, I'll call them out to lunch, especially when you get away from the mainstream forages or the average quality forages. And what I'm finding is a lot of times they discount the energy levels in those feeds way too much. I've got a chart that I use from 1984 from the University of Alberta Metabolic Unit where they evaluated feed quality and the energy list or energy amounts in the feeds. So I cross-reference what they'd say the energy values are versus what I get off the chart when I look at the acid detergent fiber levels. So it's nice to have that ability to have the, the second uh, source of information. And the ladies at the Peace Country Beef Association, they do have a copy of that file on hand. So if you have something that doesn't quite look right, you can give them a call and they'll they'll give you a second opinion. Yeah, definitely. We would be happy to do that. And even if, if you're not sure if it looks right or not, but if you're really short on energy and you need some help problem solving there, that's a good place to start and then to take it from there to try and bump up the energy in your ration because it has definitely been a, been a challenge the last few years to put up high energy feeds. Definitely. Now, I know, um, I guess to move on from the energy discussion to the rest of the feed test, um, I, I know there's uh, some important ratios with calcium and phosphorus, but uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about trace minerals. Um, 
I know Western Canada is usually selenium deficient, so it's not worth the extra money generally to test for that. Um, but Barry, can you talk a little bit about trace minerals and kind of what to look for there or what's important to look for there? For trace minerals, Western Canada is generally deficient in copper, manganese, and zinc. With the wet years up here, I would suspect that the manganese levels have come up because it mineralizes or solubilizes into the soil moisture and has taken up the plants uh, better than in the dry years. So that is a bit of difference. But yes, copper, manganese, and zinc are typically 50 to 60% deficient compared to where they need to be. Loose salt just does not cut it anymore. And on, kind of on that note of um, wetter summers and that sort of thing, um, a lot of, we heard about a lot of people, cows are going through mineral like crazy this summer. So any thoughts on that with um, you know, weather conditions and how it relates to mineral consumption and how, how you can kind of monitor, especially mineral on pasture? Monitoring mineral intake or salt intake on pasture, uh, cows do have the ability to know how much salt they need. They do not have the ability to know if they're short of copper or calcium or phosphorus. So it's up to you to mix those two products together. Cows will preferably choose the salt. So instead of having a tub with salt in it and a tub with mineral, put them together, mix them together. Uh, intakes on the products that come from commercial manufacturers are typically at 100 gram per head intake per day. So if you've got 250 cows, one bag of minerals should last you uh, one day. If it's a 55 pound or 25 kg bag, or if it's a, a 44 pound bag or a 20 kilogram bag, 200 cows should consume it in one day. If they are eating a commercial product too rapidly, and that period extends for more than two weeks, add additional white salt to the mixture to bring the total mineral consumption down. Right, okay, awesome. Um, now, on that note, do you have any uh, hints or tips and tricks for, for mineral shopping? Um, blue salt is not sufficient, so um, do you have some things that people should look for in a mineral or uh, tips and tricks for mineral selection? Price is not the say-all and be-all, you need to look at what's in the mineral. So for example, if you've got a mineral that's to be fed at 100 grams per day or one-tenth of a kilo, and you've got 2,500 milligrams per kg of copper, they will get 250 milligrams of copper. So that calculation needs to be done for each nutrient when you're comparing one tag versus the other. So it's a little bit of math with pencil and paper and calculator, but that way you can have a good idea of what you're actually getting out of each product. There's no magic bullet to say, this is the type of product I need without a feed test report. And so then on that note, um, when you're shopping, looking at chelated versus non-chelated minerals, what are your thoughts on that? The bioavailability or the potency of the minerals in a chelated form are 30 to 40 percent stronger than the inorganic form. They can be proteinates, they can be amino acids, there's a whole bunch of different forms that they can come in, but 
most cases, only 25% of the copper, manganese, and zinc are typically in chelate form. The rest is inorganic. So it's not 100% in that formulation. The cost is going to be significantly higher for the chelated product. If you're not having troubles with reproduction, if you're not having troubles with sick calves, is there a need to spend that extra money? And my contention is if you do a good job of using a uh, inorganic mineral or a, a standard mineral throughout the entire winter and in that having uh, to breeding season for sure, you should be fine and not need the chelates. Chelates to me are more in the spectrum of a dairy, which has a lot higher rec requirements than a beef herd. So basically, overall, get your pencil out <laughs> before get. you make any decisions and your calculator. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I guess on that note of knowing what you need and getting your pencil out and all of that sort of stuff, um, should there be a difference between your summer mineral and your winter mineral? Uh, do you need to have a different mix for those two seasons? That is a really good question because... Uh, I'm going to sound like a politician say, and say, it all depends. <laughs> uh, what's in your forage stand on pasture? Is it a straight grass or is there some legume in it? Uh, that'll determine if you need a, uh, a calcium phosphorus ratio of one to one or if you're going with a straight uh, green feed or swath grazing situation which has less calcium you probably need four parts of calcium and one part phosphorus. So I really can't say which product to use unless I've got a feed test report in front of me and I understand what your feeding program is. On the other side, when it comes to vitamins, the vitamin precursors for vitamin A and vitamin E are more than adequate to take care of requirements in the summertime. Vitamin D is supplied by the sunlight. So your vitamin levels in the mineral can be lower in the summer than in the mineral uh, that's used in the wintertime. So there can be a little bit of a change there. But otherwise, the, mineral, the minerals and trace mineral levels in the products should be fairly consistent from summer to winter. Right. Awesome. Uh, and before we go too much further, um, early on in this podcast, you alluded to um, wet chemistry feed tests. Now, can you expand a little bit on what wet chemistry is versus uh, near-infrared and how that uh, makes a difference in your feed test? Wet chemistry analysis has been the standard for years and years and years. So that's what we call the gold standard. Near-infrared spectrometry is something that's come out over the last 20 or 25 years. Everything that is calculated uh, for values is when they stream a wavelength of light onto the ground sample and whatever is reflected back off that sample is collected on a photocell and that by equation they determine what's there in the, in the feeds. It works great for fibers and proteins which has a carbon molecule associated with it but the minerals, copper, manganese, zinc, uh, calcium, phosphorus, etc. There's no organic mineral or, or carbon associated with it, and the values can be out by 300%. I've seen variation that wide. So spend the extra $10 a sample, 
and it may take a day or two longer, but it'll definitely be worth the time and the effort to do it properly. Um, so in recent years, kind of going back to that energy side of things, um, making feed with enough energy has been a challenge. We've had a lot of poor weather conditions. We can't even get in a field without making ruts to actually cut hay. Once you cut it, <laughs> um, it's hard to, to get it dry. Um, it's late, it's mature. So any um, tips for working through this? And I guess the other thing this year is the price of feed grains is just so high. So any thoughts or tips on working through this? Unfortunately, Mother Nature sometimes throws a, a real loop into the situation and you can't get out there to cut the hay for various reasons. You do the best that, can, that you can with cutting it, uh, but realizing that at the heading stage, every week after that point in time, your protein levels will drop between one and one and a half percent per week, and your energy levels will drop between one and three points of TDN. So if you're a month late, there's not much you can do about it. You have to supplement the extra energy and extra protein by various sources, by either buying in some higher quality feeds from someplace else, using byproducts or feeding grains. There's, there's no shortcuts on this. If you have poor quality feed, that'll probably cause some consternations with thin cows over the winter, which will mean that they have to eat more and probably some problems at calving or after calving. Right, okay. Um, do you have any thoughts while we're talking about uh, these kind of atypical feeds and that sort of thing? Um, do you have any thoughts on getting those feed tests for people who are grazing, you know, swath grazing or um, grazing standing crop into the winter, how would you go about uh, getting a feed sample and building a ration around a crop like that? To get a good sample of standing crop, be it uh, swath for, for grazing uh, second cut hay instead of cutting it, you leave it there standing, you still need to take enough sample to fill about half a bread bag. It's not all from one location. You probably should go to 15 to 20 different locations across the field and cut it off about three to four inches above the ground level. That's where, you know, with a little bit of grazing management, that's when the cow should be pulled off so that the snow can be trapped in some of the stubble. For swath grazing, reach into the middle of the swath, pull out five or six stems, uh, try to keep the leaves on it, don't break anything apart, be as gentle as you can and put the whole plant into a bag and again you need to go between 15 and 20 places so uh, you try to get a representative sample, that's about all you can do. And for standing crops I know with uh, PCBFA when we're doing samples like things like corn we will use a wood chipper to chip it up into smaller pieces so that it does fit in the bag and it is representative of what the animals will actually eat. That's the best way to do it. If, if possible. <laughs> Otherwise, do your best. <laughs> now, this is a little bit uh, kind of off topic, but water's an important component of building your feed ration because it can have solubilized minerals and that sort of stuff in it. But can you talk about a little bit about how often we should be testing our water and why it's important? Water from a deep well typically is fairly stable in quality. So if you do it once every 10 years, that'll give you a good indication of, of, of what you've got. 
For the shallow wells, less than 30 feet, you might want to do that a little bit more often, probably every couple years. Dugouts at least once to see where you're starting from. And what we're really looking for in these water tests is uh, the big two for me is how much sodium is in there. Sodium makes up 39% of the weight of salt. So if your sodium levels are high in the water, above 300 parts per million, so free choice salt intake will drop dramatically. The other one is sulfur. Uh, sulfur, high sulfur levels can cause polio in cows, which is basically a swelling of the brain. Uh, the, the bacteria needed to produce thiamine in the rumen are destroyed and therefore they become short of thiamine. So knowing your sulfur content uh, in the water and the sodium really plays a big part on how we balance out the ration overall. And just thinking about um, the, like the sulfur, that does um, make me think about things like um, higher sulfur content in feed, some of the cocktails that people have been using that's showing up, and as well as, as nitrate. So a, a brief word or two on that, please, Barry. When you mentioned the higher sulfate contents from, from the brassicas, you made a great point because uh, with some of these brassica species, uh, or if you've got a canola crop that's been hailed out and you're cutting it for silage or green feed, yeah. those are things that will really increase the sulfur content. Now, when you're looking at the cocktail mixes and some of these newer mixes that are out there, um, the thing to watch out for in those is what percentage of that crop is actually grain. If, if, if you're underseeded the cocktail mix with say barley or oats, you don't want to have the grain get excessively ripe because you get the higher starch contents, the higher, higher uh, soluble carbohydrates. And when animals go into a new portion of the, the winter grazing area, they will selectively graze for the grain right off the start. It's their candy. So you might have problems with grain overloads and acidosis. So right. limiting the amount that they have access to every day, either moving in a fence once a day or once every three days, is recommended to even out the ration that they're getting. And also it greatly diminishes the amount of wasted feed that you have out in the field. All right. Uh, well, we're almost, uh, we're kind of running out of time here. So um, this episode will go up kind of the first week of December. So do you have any um, tips or that sort of thing uh, as we go into the winter for feeding cows? I think the biggest piece of advice that I can give right now is, other than feed testing, is if your cows are thin. Uh, a cow that is 200 pounds lighter than what she should be. And that's about the point in where your eyes can see the visual difference in the, in the condition of the cow. That animal needs to get that weight put on before it gets really cold. If they are thin by 200 pounds, they'll need an extra 1,400 pounds of hay just to stay warm. And that's an additional expense that you really don't need. It'll also play into the quality of uh, uh, winter feeding program that you need. If they are thin, it's going to just cost you more because you're going to need more energy and a little bit more protein to get them through the winter. Yeah, so it really emphasizes the point that all year round to manage your nutrition and your 
know know what you're working with. All right. Uh, so on that note of uh, knowing what you're working with and um, ration balancing and all of that sort of stuff, where can people get a hold of you uh, if they want some want some consultation with an expert? You bet. Uh, we've put up a website for our company. Which uh, looks really good, by the way. <laughs> really nicely done. The website name is beefconsultant.com, and there's no space between beef and consultant. Or if you wish to phone me directly, my new number is 403-741-6032. Awesome. And uh, Barry's contact info will be in the description of this podcast, uh, as well as a couple of fact sheets um, like that beef cattle nutrition rules of thumb, that sort of stuff, uh, if you want to get an idea and do some of your own research before you reach out to PCBFA or uh, your local ARA or uh, Barry. And uh, on that note, is there anything either of you would like to uh, add or to say before we sign off? No, just thank you, Barry, for, for being with us today, and we're really glad that we can still access your, uh, your wisdom and knowledge. Well, <laughs> thank it'll... you. It'll be a number of years before I decide to hang up uh, the gloves and call it quits, but this is the fun part of the job, talking to farmers, doing uh, meetings, and, and working on problems for producers, so uh, it's a nice change in some ways for me. I, I'm enjoying, I'm continuing to enjoy what I'm doing. Awesome. We're, we're really glad to hear that, and we're really glad we can still call you Barry. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you, Barry, for coming on with us. And uh, with that, we will talk to you next time. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening!